We continue to take a look at Mitch Kupchak's media availability. What did he think about James Borrego's refusal to play the rookies? Plus, we take a look at his comments on Miles Bridges' future with the Charlotte Hornets. That's all today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. So make sure you check them out again. Bet Online. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available on all platforms. That includes YouTube. The numbers keep on growing. We are so appreciative of that. If you don't want to watch us on YouTube, that's fine, though. You can catch us wherever you get your podcast, whether that be Apple, Spotify. I'm Walker Mail. I've covered Charlotte Sports, ESPN Radio, do hits with Fox, NBC. That's Doug Branson. He's the founder of the podcast. He's the OG. He's still bringing the heat every single day. And you can catch him possibly dress up like grandmama if we get a thousand likes of, on Facebook because we're trying to get those numbers up now, too. And the only way to do that is for us to embarrass ourselves. You guys seem to really like that, whether it be me having to dress up in a bee costume and shake my stanger or whether it be Doug actually <laughs> dressed like grandmama and Larry Johnson. I can't wait to see you in that, Doug. Shake my stanger got me. That was a curveball that I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't fully prepared for mm -hmm. at uh, nine forty five Central Time. Uh, that was good. I like that. That's the best time to shake your stanger, man. Especially to get the week off right. We got Mitch Kupchak audio to get to again. We got Miles Bridges audio to get to again. Right. So much to break down with what Mitch Kupchak had to say, and we still don't know who the head coach is going to be for the Charlotte Hornets team. We don't even know who's going to be on the roster. And there are some pillars of the roster that we need to figure out exactly if they're going to be uh, a part would you of the say, future. Would you say there are four pillars? No. Or are we done not. with four not pillars? Not anymore. Nope. Gone. See ya. No more four <laughs> pillars, Doug. That is the end. Look, James Brego did some good things with this organization. An overall great guy to be around. I will not miss the four pillars, even if he backed off of it over the last couple of years. But really, it was when he was a rookie with the Charlotte Hornets team that he was trying to instill a culture that might have been missing, even if I don't think that was really the problem from Steve Clifford. It was more so the problem of the organization just not winning games consistently enough. That's the culture that they were trying to get out of. And kudos to James Brego for building something that they now have a next step to take, right? Laid a foundation, had some player development, and now it's time to take that next step. We'll figure out what coach needs to do that. These rookies will also need to take a next step because the foundation is somewhat unknown for them, Doug. And Mitch Kupchak had some interesting comments. When you take a look at James Booknight, who we already did his player capsule, had the really good game against Sacramento, had a couple of other flashes and moments, but overall didn't play a whole lot this year. In fact, played the least amount of anybody, I believe, in the top 18 picks. Then you go to Kai Jones, who was 19, and he played less than everybody in the top 19, 20 picks. Hornets rookies didn't play at all this year, and I thought at least you'd get some from James Booknight. What did Mitch Kupchak have to say about that and his media availability? Here's that sound from the Hornets GM. Nobody really knows that much about the three players we drafted last year, and uh, I remain very high on them. I was hopeful that they would uh, play a little bit more than they did. Um, you know, coach's decision. You know, I always let the coach, you know, decide who plays and who does not play. And, you know, this was not, quote unquote, a development year. 
you know, this was a year that when we started the season, we had, you know, a goal of making the playoffs. Um, and along with that becomes, you know, some pressure, right, to play veterans and maybe not play the young kids as much. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't have said that at the beginning of the year, right? But I didn't think not saying it would mean much either um, because I think it was just implied <laughs> that, you know, we made enough progress to contend for the playoffs. But that does put pressure, you know, on a coaching staff so I actually think there's some interesting undertones with this soundbite, even just outright content and what Mitch Kupchak had to say. So I'm going to leave it to you. I'm going to let you make sure that I, I would love to see some hot takes. I don't What are you feeling, Doug? What are you feeling from this Mitch Kupchak audio? I don't know if I have hot takes. I do. I do have a little bit of a problem with what Mitch Kupchak is, is saying here because, and I feel it gives me a little bit of sympathy for James Borrego and the situation that he was put in at the beginning of the season. If the, if, if as Mitch Kupchak admits, he put a little bit too much pressure and got a little bit ahead of himself in terms of the expectations uh, of this team and, and the roster's ability to meet those expectations, uh, then I then I feel a little bit bad for uh, James Brago. This is oftentimes, you know, and I, I think a lot of people can sympathize with this when your boss comes to your desk and says, hey, um, can, can I get this project that you're working on? I really want it to be high quality. Okay, high quality for sure. But can you get it to me tomorrow? Right. And so those things don't necessarily or let the interns hold. work on it. Make sure the interns get some experience. Yeah, and work get the on interns it and some, some experience. <laughs> Can I get it tomorrow? But make sure that it's high quality. Also, uh, that it's cheap. You know, we don't want to spend too much money on it, but make sure it's high quality. And also that you get it to me. Actually, can you get it to me today? Um, so, yeah. That'd so, th yeah, that'd be awesome. So uh, we've all had, I think, that experience at some point. If you've worked long enough, you get that kind of miscommunication or, or expectations that don't jive. So that's why I have a problem with him, especially critiquing now that James Borrego's gone. You know, I mean, it seems a little bit like kicking the guy, you know, when he can't really defend himself. The, the only So I didn't get that take necessarily. I get what you're saying, though. I, I would say that James, Bre I mean, he was asked about the rookies, right? So I don't think... Mitch Kupchak was asked in season about the lack of playing time for the rookies. Maybe he would have given us his thoughts on that while the season was going on. I do think he was kind of right though. And, and maybe, maybe the anger or maybe the frustration comes more so from Mitch Kupchak putting these expectations at the beginning of the season, which he would walk back mid season. And that conversation he had with Sam Farber, you know, that's the whole, where the bump comes in, where he's feeling. Yeah, but froggy. too late, too yeah, late no, no, by right. then, because no, totally yeah, I mean, right. Jay's Brago has already put initiated a plan at that point. No, you're right about that. But uh, if the expectations weren't any different, let's say, you know, or if they were different, I should say, let's say Mitch Kupchak doesn't have this playoff mandate or isn't trying to push for the playoffs. Do you think James Booknight and JT Thor get minutes at that point? I think James Brago saw what he had with the roster too. And he was going to play these guys all over the place anyway. So Mitch Kupchak probably did put pressure and he acknowledged that. I did like him acknowledging that when I give somebody pressure, of course, they're going to go more towards the players that they trust more. But I, I do wonder, you know, how much Mitch Kupchak wanted all of them to play because Kai Jones was always going to be a crazy project. JT Thor, I thought was going to be a project too and actually played pretty well when he was put in. And, you know, James Booknight, we all thought was going to play a lot more too. I just wonder what he really wanted to see from them in year one.
Yeah, and we're not really. I don't think that Mitch Kupchak was asking in that clip, you know, or or desiring that the rookies have you know solid rotational roles. You know, I think there were moments in the season where instead of especially when when the players when when they had multiple players out with COVID or there were certain injuries that happened that that would have opened up a few minutes for the rookies. James Borrego instead decided to really shorten up the rotation. Instead of replacing those rotational players with rookie minutes, he decided, no, I'm actually just going to give more minutes to the players that I have healthy. And so I think that's what you know, Mitch is what was desiring there was to see those rookies get a few more minutes so that because, again, as a general manager, you have different I think you have slightly different priorities than the head coach, especially in a year where there is a little bit of a playoff push. As a general manager, you need to know what you have out of these rookies, not not just for the sake of playing those rookies in the future, but also like trade value. You know, I mean, if, yeah. if you're going to move these players, you need to know, is this a player I'm okay with moving? Or is this a, or, you know, alternatively, giving them minutes so that other teams can see if that's a player they, they would, you know, want to trade for. Well, and Doug, it has to be, it has to come down to James Booknight, right? I mean, Kai Jones and even JT Thor, expectations for your 37th overall pick could not have been to play him and give him a solid rotational spot. I know the whole mantra in which you breathe in is the more Thor movement. I totally get that. But that was <laughs> that, that was not put together at the beginning of the season. So it all has to come down to James Booknight. I go back to the moment when James Borrego said, Terry Rozier is our backup point guard. And we didn't have one at that point when they didn't, you know, that Ish Smith was gone, goes to Washington. They get Montrez Harrell as center depth. And then they didn't have a backup point guard. So then they go out and they get Isaiah Thomas, who turned out to be very good, better than expected. But Isaiah Thomas, to me, filled a spot where James Booknight could have come in. And before everybody gets mad and says, James Booknight's not a point guard. Yeah, you're right. But He's kind of that combo guard. And if you had LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier and even a Cody Martin who could come in and handle the basketball a little as well, was that the time to experiment with James Booknight having one of those other established players out there at all times when Booknight was getting on the floor to see what you had in your first round pick other than going to the G League and then signing a midseason veteran contract where you don't know if this guy's going to be on the team long term. I thought that was the time to go ahead and see if James Booknight was ready for this and was he ready for it right now. I know they were undergoing a playoff push. At the same time, if you wanted to see Booknight play more, then that's something you could have done and, and not played Isaiah. But James Borrego wanted somebody different. Like he told us, Terry Rozier is our backup point guard, which isn't good. You know, Terry Rozier is more the combo and probably leans more towards two, given his skill set. I, I don't know, man. Just that that was the time midseason. I thought you could have seen something and eventually it didn't happen. Yeah, but again, I lay some of that. At, I, I, actually, I lay a lot of that at the feet of Mitch Kupchak because if you wanted to see the rookies play more, uh, then, then a good idea would have been to provide this team with an NBA playoff level big rotation uh, that would allow a little bit more flexibility to James Borrego to, to play some guards, you know, a guard like James Booknight, who is not defensively ready to compete in the NBA. Uh, you know, you get a little bit more flexibility if you have some backline defense and, and also 
Uh, also, you know, any any um, you know playoff experience or veteran leadership would have been nice too to add to this roster over the years. And we've heard Mitch Kupchak say in the same av- availability that he's reticent to do that until this team is ready. But like, it's a sort of a chicken and the egg argument. Like, in order to get this team ready, you need that veteran leadership. I think that was why they added Isaiah Thomas. That was the recognition there. Hey, we need players. Who who can come in and speak to some of these young players and and get them ready to play in the playoffs? No, and, and that's true. I just it's not like they're crazy young, you know. Yes, Lamelo, PJ, and Miles are young, but they also and experience though in terms of playoffs. Well, they they also have Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, Mason. Oh, they get yeah, Isaiah did, Thomas, did they have Gordon Montrez Hayward? Harrell. Did they have Gordon Hayward? I mean, he was on the roster, you know. But if we can, you know, Gordon, but Gordon Hayward's not there. So then you have Terry Rozier, Mason Plumley, Montrezl Harrell. I'm not saying that these guys are awesome. I'm saying that you have experience at least. That's not to me. That almost gives youth an excuse. It gives that a, a you know some kind of life as an excuse for them to get blown out in the play-in tournament a couple of times, and then that ultimately falls on James Brego, and then ultimately falls on Mitch Kupchak. But to me, just the the James Booknight aspect is the most interesting part of that i that's what mitch wanted to see i guess more so well and and just to sort of zoom out a little bit there was clearly a miscommunication that happened at the beginning of the season between james borrego and mitch kupchak and i think also this exposes the tension that occurred when this team was looking to move past development and into contention. And and I think that that's really when it all comes down to it, why Borrego's not the head coach anymore is because that, that tension, they didn't feel like they could overcome and really get, you know, feel comfortable with James Borrego leading this team into contention as opposed to, to player development, which he was hired initially to do. That evolution just just didn't happen. I, I'm just making an argument that some of that certainly falls on James Borrego, but I think some of it has to oh, fall yeah. on Mitch Kupchak as well. And I'll say this, that they need to make sure that the next head coach that they hire – is on the same page with Mitch Kupchak going into this next season. Yeah, and, and maybe even fully on the the same page because I think as time went on, maybe this past year was the biggest gap that you had as far as the separation goes between the two parties, James Borrego and Mitch Kupchak. I think you're completely right about that. Um, all right, we'll talk a little more about Mitch Kupchak's media availability coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. What did he have to say about Miles Bridges? Miles Bridges is a restricted free agent. Is it in their plans to bring him back for the future? We're going to get to that in just a moment. Now, before we talk about Sakara, feeling your best starts with what you eat. Sakara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. Now is the time to seek wellness, joy, and abundance in all areas of your life, starting with what you eat. With Sakara, you get nutrient dense meals, snacks, and supplements that nourish your body without ever sacrificing taste or quality. You don't have to do that. Looking and feeling your best shouldn't mean deprivation. Instead, choose joy and abundance. Sakara's organic, plant-rich, transformational nutrition programs are designed to help you cultivate body intelligence so you can nourish your body and experience the results that you want. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off of their first order when they go to sakara.com slash locked on 20 or enter code locked on 20 at checkout, either one. That's sakara, S A K A R A dot com slash locked on 20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash locked on 20. Let's talk Miles Bridges coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. 
are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. David. The show's barely been on. How are these injuries going to affect the Hornets' ability to beat the Miami Heat? I'm going to go get some more buttermilk while you talk about it. (laughs) Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. One of the more important questions to ask Mitch Kupchak going into his media availability was what the plan was for Charlotte regarding Miles Bridges. There was a lot of important things to get to. That certainly was one of them. Here's somebody that for a large part of this season was at least in the conversation to have won most improved player of the year. Eventually, Darius Garland, a couple of other guys would pass him, John Morant, MVP type year. But Miles Bridges was the favorite at the beginning of this season. Had a huge jump in the absence of Gordon Hayward last year. Miles Bridges, we all saw score 20 points per game. The only thing that didn't improve was his shot making from beyond the arc. But other than that, as a playmaker, you know, and maybe even defensively, there's still some decent sized problems there that hopefully get better. Overall, Miles Bridges, nice season, uh, very much improved. Mitch Kupchak said it is their intention to bring Miles Bridges back to this Charlotte Hornets team as he enters restricted free agency. He even said that Miles Bridges, they view him as a big part of their future. So with all that being said, what do you make of those comments from the Hornets GM, Doug? I mean, I think it's a nice thought. And and really the follow-up question there would be at what cost, you know, because there are rumors now that other teams would potentially be interested in trying to wrestle Miles Bridges away from Charlotte, one of those teams being the Portland Trailblazers, who uh, are are in demand for young wing talents to try to convince some of their, uh, you know, all-star guards, uh, you know, specifically Damian Lillard, to stay with this organization. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's going to be interesting to see how much Miles Bridges actually values being in Charlotte values playing with LaMelo Ball, values comfort, and and if that value translates to any kind of discount off the max contract, and if if how in demand Miles Bridges actually will be on the free market. Yeah, and how much funny business is going on from other teams that aren't super interested in them. They'd love to have them, but they're not super interested in them, so they just drive the price up on the Charlotte Hornets offer sheet that you would – think Charlotte is going to match. And I remember having that conversation with Jake Fisher just a couple of months ago. What are the chances you see Miles Bridges in a different uniform other than a Charlotte Hornets one this next season? He said, you know, I can't imagine that happening at all. I mean, Charlotte is going to match. There might be a team that does. I think it happened with Alan Crabb, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I think maybe Brooklyn like tried to drive up the price on Portland, but then Brooklyn eventually just took in an Allen Crab and they did. So there, there are a couple of these players that we've seen that type of thing happen before, but he's going to get $30 million a year, Doug. And when you talk about just how valuable he is, it's because you don't think he's reached his ceiling. You think there is something more to improve on, on top of him already having improved so much last year on top of him being a bull really strong, having figured out that my physical strength is maybe my best attribute along with my athleticism. So why don't I just take it to the rack X amount of times per game and then go to the foul line a lot more, which is what he did. And he's a good free throw shooter. So that only helps you more. So when you do get to the rack, like 
there's so much to like about what Miles Bridges improved upon this past season, and you don't think he reached the ceiling, that's going to get a lot of money from some franchises that are talent deprived. I mean, honestly, Walker, even if he has reached the ceiling, like there just aren't many 28 and four, you know, young, young wings out there. So like that, I mean, just what he was last season, you know, if you say, all right, he makes a, you know, somewhat moderate jump in his ability to defend opposing wings next season then that right there is valuable. If, if if it doesn't come with any more scoring or any more efficiency from the three-point line, that is still very valuable in this league. And I think oftentimes as fans, when you draft a player and then you spend four years with that player, you, you, you've you seen – it's like, I mean, I, I sort of – now I can make the kid analogy because I have a kid. And you, heard, you, yeah. wa- you, watch, you watch the kid grow – and you can't, you don't really notice the changes until occasionally you look at your phone and you scroll through photos. But, but it happens just so, it just sort of trickles over time. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're crawling or they're walking or they look way different than they looked when they were born. And so I think that can happen as fans. We sort of get in this uh, malaise about a player and say, well, you know, but no, like this, his stats are really good. And, you know, I think the Hornets would be wise. Uh, to keep a player like that because it's very difficult for this franchise to go out and find that in free agency. And I wonder if even if he's going to be valuable to a ton of different franchises out there, if even all that being said, he's still more valuable in Charlotte because of his ability to play alongside LaMelo now because of his ability to play alongside PJ and those lineups just being awesome. PJ and Miles, not only is it not redundant, not only is it some similar thing that you can't play them on the court, it's actually a really good lineup when those two share the court together. And we'll see about PJ. That's a separate issue, right? But as far as bringing Miles Bridges back, you would argue, especially, Doug, with a team that has not drafted well. You know, just over the last four years, they've drafted well. But before that, right, historically speaking, this is not a team. I got some stuff on that, by the way. I got some stuff in the yeah. third segment on the on the draft issues yeah. that they've had. Yeah, we'll get to that in just a moment, especially when it comes to the defensive, uh, the defensive side, as Mitch Kupchak might say, the defensive end of the court. But, yeah, I mean, Miles Bridges is valuable to a lot of teams. I would argue Miles Bridges is more valuable to the Charlotte Hornets. Well, and his ascension couldn't have come at a better time because they have this massive problem with Gordon Hayward. Can can they move him? Uh, you know, can could he be an asset? But now that PJ Washington fits so well next to Miles Bridges, it makes that problem a little bit easier to solve because this team doesn't need if if Miles is going to continue to play this way and even better, then they don't need Gordon Hayward. Like, I mean, Miles can fit can fit that bill to a certain extent in terms of a, a go-to score. Like, I didn't believe that Miles could be a, that kind of go-to score until this past season. Now I believe it. Yeah, and, and the consistency in the half court, maybe. You know, I mean, I guess there were times towards the end of the season. It's not like he wouldn't show up for weeks on end. You know, there would just be a game that was surprising here or there. But, you know, the guys who don't have the surprising bad games are superstars. And even then, you know, even Jason Tatum, right? I mean, we'll see some of those guys not have the best games. Leave him so, alone, Portland yeah. and Cody Martin. Keep Please. your hands off of both I know of those he was, players. What a throw in. You know, nobody, the, the article didn't talk about that from what I saw, too. But Cody Martin, Apparently is going to be sought after from Portland. Well, and the Hornets have so many decisions. They have large decisions like Gordon Hayward, they Miles do. Bridges, yeah. 
But they've also got these smaller decisions that are going to be really critical, like what do you do with Jalen McDaniels? What do you do with Cody Martin? There are a lot of decisions that this front office has to make. That's why I've said all uh, late season and into this early offseason, this is going to be the most critical offseason in Charlotte Hornets history. This team could look really different, surprisingly different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's, there's a lot that could go on with this team. Hell, let's talk about some of the things that could have been different had they done something different in the past. Coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We're going to take a look at the all-defensive teams in the NBA and if the Charlotte Hornets had a chance to grab them in past NBA draft classes. Not before we talk about Bet Online, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, even next season's NFL futures bets. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sport wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet on line where the game starts let's take a look at past hornets draft classes coming up next on the locked on hornets podcast this is locked on hornets and which, what, what i have like a few more shards sh- shards no i would not only on the locked on podcast network your team every day Am I tripping or are those graphics different? Just like tweaked? Yes, the graphics are different. I I put the at locked on Hornets. You can follow us on Facebook. If we get to a thousand (laughs) likes, I dress like grandmama. You can follow us on Twitter at locked on Hornets on Instagram. We're posting on there now. All right. Graphics graphics look good. You know, I feel like the sound's a little bit different. So we're making moves here on the locked on Hornets podcast, including maybe dressing like grandmama for one Doug Branson. All right, Doug, you want to bring up the bad news on some of this draft? Although there's one, there's one thing I see in the rundown that I, I would still do. And I don't know if you would or not, but we'll get to that. What are some of the draft classes you want to talk about for the Hornets? Well, really, I wanted to start this discussion around the NBA all-defensive teams uh, that were announced. Uh, first team is Giannis Antetokounmpo, Mikael Bridges out of Phoenix, Rudy Gobert, Utah, Jaron Jackson Jr., Memphis, Marcus Smart, Boston. Second team, all defense, Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Matisse Theibel, and Robert Williams III. And so, you know, as we talk about the Hornets and their defensive issues, you know, these issues don't really happen, you know, out of the blue. I mean, this was, I think, a concerted effort by the organization in terms of their draft strategy to draft players for a long time that could only play on one end of the floor, and that was the offensive end of the floor. And then those players would fail to play on the offensive end of the floor, (laughs) and that's when you had – you know, sort of draft disasters. But over the past couple of years, as you mentioned in the last segment, the Hornets have been drafting better. I think they've been, there's been more of a concerted effort to draft players that play well on both ends of the floor. But I still haven't seen them prioritize, you know, defensive players in the way that some of these other teams had. And so as I take a look at these, I, I just had a question about like which of these players 
could the Hornets have realistically drafted? And when I mean realistically, I mean that they they would have been within a couple of picks. Like they could have absolutely taken that player if they wanted to. It wasn't like, you know, a player got drafted in the second round or something. And so they could have used their first round pick. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they were in striking distance and they didn't get it. And I came up with two players Bam Adebayo in 2017 went three spots behind Malik Monk. They, of course, also passed on Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell. And then Matisse Theibel, this is a little bit of a stretch, but he went eight spots behind P.J. Washington. And, of course, they also passed on Tyler Hero, the the sixth man of the year for Miami. There's a trend here that Miami (laughs) is outdrafting the Charlotte Hornets. Well, in the Matisse Thibault thing, I mean, that guy doesn't get any playoff minutes because he, you know, he's inept offensively. Like, he can't shoot. PJ's still clearly the best selection there, you know. I mean, Bam Adebayo, that one hurts. If you would have had Bam Adebayo, we're not talking about the center position being such a disaster defensively we're talking about you know having an all defensive perennial guy so that one hurts but well, if you have donovan mitchell you're probably also maybe possibly even talking about steve clifford still being the head coach of this basketball team it's the guy he wanted man it's what he wanted more than anything um so yeah pj still the right choice and now at least he's grown up a lot defensively you know yeah but, and, and 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 matisse Again, you know, we'll see if the offense can ever come around for him because defensively he is special. That's how that's how you get uh, an all defensive team spot when you only play like 25 minutes a game and in the playoffs, it goes down to 15, you know, like so. Um, but yeah, and I know um, you wanted to take a look at the second round for some of these drafts too, or and, and some of the guys we just missed out on. Well, yeah, so I looked at a few of these players. They barely missed out on one of them being Mikael Bridges, who went one pick ahead of that Hornets-Clippers swap in 2018 that resulted in the Hornets picking up Miles Bridges, which I don't think many of us regret. I mean, I I wouldn't – I don't know that I would trade Mikael Bridges for Miles Bridges. I don't think I would – I know you would trade for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I probably would keep Miles Bridges. Well, you know, I mean, Mikael – Mikhail's awesome though and so is Shea it's funny how good that three pick you know player in row they're awesome you know Mikhail he might get an all-star spot at some point probably needs to do a little more offensively but still incredible and yeah they they did just miss out on him and then SGA is a good defensive player too you know he's not elite like Mikhail Mikhail's elite but SGA is pretty good too and eventually they get Miles Bridges who really has closed the gap and, and really, this discussion is not about they should have done this or they should have done that. Yeah. It's really about I'm just taking you through how the Hornets haven't prioritized those players with elite defensive skills. And I have a I have a theory about that that I'll propose in just a moment. Well, one other player they barely missed out on was Marcus Smart in 2014, went sixth overall, three spots ahead of the nine pick where the Hornets uh, unfortunately select, selected Noah Vonley in that 2014 draft. But what I really want to do is visit that wasn't even oh of course they couldn't have drafted smart he went a couple of picks ahead and there's not really like as i look Noah Vonley, Alfred Payton went after that Doug McDermott Dario Saric Zach Levine was a was a miss for sure um TJ Warren Adrian Payne uh Nurkic so i like not a ton there that i would say like oh they just, just so missed out defensively but if you look at the end of that draft if you remember 
the Hornets made a swap with the Heat uh, towards the they swapped the twenty. The Hornets had the twenty fourth pick. They traded back to the twenty sixth pick to pick PJ Hairston. They gave up Shabazz mm-hmm. Napier. But in between Napier and PJ Hairston, do you remember? No, I don't know. Clint Capella. Oh wow. <laughs> So again, it's it's these interesting points where like, yeah, they could have had Capella. That probably solves a lot of the issues that they have today. And then one pick after P.J. Hairston was Bogdan Bogdanovich, which does nothing for you um, defensively, but certainly has had a better career uh, in that he's had a career and P.J. Hairston has not. Yeah, I think I think when Mitch Kupchak, though, you know, that that draft that we talked about with Miles Bridges, so it goes Mikhail, SGA, and then Miles Bridges, which was a really nice three players in a row that were drafted. You know, Mitch Kupchak did talk about this positionless brand of basketball, getting those guys that could, you know, stretch across the floor. And then you go to a second round where he gets Cody Martin. Cody Martin was the conference's defensive player of the year, and he was drafted a lot higher where people thought he'd be undrafted. It's like they kind of go to the second round and then maybe start to take some of those players. Jalen Daniels, you know, good defensive player, long right, can switch across the board. So most talented first round, got to give me some kind of offense. And then maybe second, Devontae, not so much, you know, but some of the other picks there, they maybe tried to address those needs. Uh, We have to talk about this second round in 2014. I don't know why we have to, but we have to because that's okay. (laughs) Well, because the, the eighth overall pick in the second round was Spencer Dinwiddie. The ninth pick was Jeremy Grant. Mm. The 11th pick was Nikola Jokic. I mean, this, this second round was shockful. The Hornets made a pick in the second round that they eventually traded. And that pick was Dwight Powell. Who's currently getting worked in that uh, golden state series. Man, I don't remember them drafting. I did not know that like I yeah. forgot that they drafted Dwight Powell I had not that, that pick that got traded uh, yeah. Dwight Powell never obviously right. suited up that I think that that went to I want to actually say that went to Golden State I have to look that up but um Powell bounced around eventually ended up in and uh, with the Dallas Mavericks and and he was getting pretty roasted on social media last night for getting worked over uh, by Golden State. But anyway, so my whole point <laughs> to this is that the Charlotte Hornets, e- even though they're drafting better lately, they've rarely prioritized defense in the lottery. And I have to wonder, like, if the franchise is still shell-shocked from that MKG selection, where, well, where they I- did... Yeah. You know, they they picked the certainly the consensus second best player in that draft at the time. Uh, but it was a player that everyone knew, great defense, questionable offense. And, and they've rarely gone back to that kind of selection since. Well, yeah, and, and it's the shot, too. You know, I, I wonder that that's the thing. Everybody knew MKG could not shoot at all coming into the league. And that was the big that was the big debate. Bradley Beal could obviously shoot very well coming out of Florida, offensively very gifted, and he was the third overall pick, and instead they decided to go with MKG because they lose out on the Anthony Davis sweepstakes. Um, Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) we'll see exactly what kind of defensive players could be there for them to draft in this upcoming selection process. Maybe they decide to double dip on that, you know, on that end of the court, right? You go Johnny Davis, who can certainly defend and, and be physical and strong with you. Then you yep. get your rim protector and Mark Williams, vice versa, right? Those are just the examples we've been going with quite a bit. Um, you know, they certainly have that shot to do so. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I don't think that their picks this season, this is about establishing an identity for the future. Like these picks, if they if they make one or both of them, it's not really about changing the calculus for next season. If they want to do that, then they need to find a way 
to trade some assets in order to acquire something that can help them next season. But it is about starting to establish a defensive identity through your draft process. Because even if you look back to last year, Book Knight and Kai Jones are are offensively focused uh, projects. You know, uh, Kai Jones more than Book Knight being a project, but it's still about offense. And I think JT Thor was a good step in that direction. But but as you said, it's been more about the second round doing mm-hmm. that. Got some quick trivia before we go. Oh, what I is love the, it. do you know? Do you know the last franchise player selected to an all-defensive team? Ooh. Uh, MKG was never selected, I don't think. Um, man. So, you, Gerald Wallace? That is correct. Yes. I don't know if I have a really uh, a correct sound. Yeah, I can do this. You just give me the fanfare. It's a classic. Give me the fanfare for that. Yes, that's correct. 2009, 2010, Gerald Wallace selected, uh, I believe, to the double check. I think it was all defense first team. Yeah. Um, and okay. The one next, I was going to go really yeah. back to, I, I did. I was worried that we had to go all the way back to. Well, Alonzo hold on. Don't morning. ruin. Don't. Okay. I've got another question, okay. so I don't want sorry. you to ruin this. Okay. Sorry. Most. Most all defensive awards in okay. franchise history. All right. Well, that would have, that probably would have been my guess, unless I'm, you know, Kendall Gill, maybe. Um, the most yeah. all defensive teams in franchise history. Yeah, but I guess Alonzo didn't play here that long. So that's what would prohibit me from saying that. But at the same time, does three get it done? I I can't think of the next defensive stopper I'll, I'll go Alonzo. That's going to be my final answer. Uh, the correct answer is Eddie Jones. Wait. Had, so one time I'm sorry for somebody that played here or that, that actually got their awards as a Charlotte Hornet as a Charlotte Hornet, most franchise, all defensive teams. The he played answer, a year and a half here, right? Played two seasons, got got all defense in both in both seasons that he wow. played in Charlotte. Wow, I mean, I would have I would have thought of Eddie Jones and said, "There's no way it could be him because he played here so little." And then I would have moved on. I would have guessed a million players before. Well, and and the problem and and I I like your I like your thinking on Alonzo. The problem is that Alonzo, I think they picked this. Well, like Dikembe uh, in that era too. Like they're, yeah, you know. so I'm going to read, I'm going to just quickly read you some of the bigs in the all, all defensive team during that era. So in 91, 92, uh, you've got second team, Patrick Ewing, first team, uh, Dennis Rodman, David Robinson. And again, David Robinson, second team the next year, Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, you're right. That's tough. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he <laughs> yeah. just, it's not that Alonzo was Alonzo was great. He was great at blocking shots, right. but there were just players that were eclipsing him. But yeah, Eddie Jones. In fact, the pay. It's interesting. I think the page, uh, the page that you look at on NBA.com actually has Eddie Jones is getting the award three times as a Charlotte Hornet. But I'm pretty sure that it has it wrong. That he got it. Uh, that in '97, '98, he was a member of the Lakers. He got it second team that year. '98, '99 is the trade year. And that's when he got it um, for uh, second team. And then 99-2000, Eddie Jones got it again as a full member of the Charlotte Hornets. When the question circulates on Twitter, which player would have been 
10 times better in this era of basketball. I always think the Charlotte Hornets have two great answers in Glenn Rice, who would have, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he shot uh, that, that stat line for Glenn Rice with the Charlotte Hornets, it, it absolutely, my brain explodes looking at it and then imagining what that could have been in this era. The guy was as good a shooter as anybody at that time. And then Eddie Jones is one too for the three and D steals champ. I think yep. one year mm-hmm. shot like 37%, maybe from three uh, throughout his career. The one-time all-star here in a Hornets uniform. Those are the two guys I think are like great answers for that question. Real quick. Want to take us. There are only two other players that have won all defensive honors for the Charlotte Hornets franchise or for the Charlotte franchise. You want to take a guess at the other two names? Uh, Kendall I'll, Gil. I'll, I'll just Kendall, Kendall Gil. Gil. No. Okay. No. Um, so there's two other guys that have received those honors. I, was Muggsy like considered enough nope. to make? Yeah. Okay. Nope. Um, thank you for just destroying that immediately. Well, um, I'm just trying to move as quickly here. I don't know. Go ahead. I I would have to take some time. Anthony Mason and PJ Brown. PJ Brown picked oh, up yeah. a second team honor in 2000, 2001. It's interesting. Those teams that were really good for the Charlotte Hornets that had a shot at getting to an Eastern conference finals, it's 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 easy to forget this. They were built on defense. They weren't great offensive teams, despite Baron Davis. You know, mm-hmm. loved his offense, loved his dunking ability. Those teams were just gritty defensive teams, but they were team defensive teams. They weren't full of like amazing shot blockers or crazy steel players. It was just guys that could lock it down and, and keep you away from the basket. And PJ Brown uh, was definitely one of those guys. Two thousand, two thousand one. There you go. That's uh, trivia on the all defensive honors. Not a lot of not a lot of Hornets in history have gotten that honor. So hopefully they can turn that turn that trend around coming up in the next few years. Yeah, Anthony Basin is one maybe I could have gotten, but PJ I would have forgot all about, even though I do remember him as that defensive player. But either way, there's some good Hornets nostalgia for us to end on today. Locked on Hornets, thanks for making us your first listen. Now make your second listen, Locked on NBA. From the first jump ball of the play-in tournament to the last possession of the finals, Locked on experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis affecting all 30 teams. Thanks again for joining us. Hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll be back with you tomorrow.